Good morning. Welcome to Grace Point Virtual Church. We are so glad that you are here with us today. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Galatians chapter 5. And as you're turning there, uh, I, there's a couple of announcements. I'm, I'm seeking input. Uh, the first really is more of an announcement. Um, so as I've announced over the the last few weeks, we are now providing the audio from the live service online. It's been in the e-newsletter. It, it was uh, the link was on the email that went out this morning, and so the audio uh, portion is is recorded live from from the from the live sermon here at church. Um, it's available probably like an hour or two after the conclusion of the service, but it's there for you. It's what we used to do, and we're going to eventually move that direction. Um, I haven't concluded uh, when we were, are going to stop uh, the video services. Um, I don't. It, we may go through Galatians, might be the plan to finish up Galatians, and at that point uh, that we're going to just conclude the, the video option online. Uh, we started this uh, sort of in a crisis mode with the church being uh, scattered and not able to meet uh, during the coronavirus uh, pandemic and shutdown. Then uh, as we continued to open up, as, as we're able to have services here, we kept it sort of in place while um, vulnerable people were still kind of locked in at home and 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 concerns and and so we we kept it going and now we're reaching the point where um the the population people that are at risk everybody has access to the vaccines uh, if they are interested in them uh, basically the whole population i think 16 years and up within san diego county now has access uh, to the vaccines if you choose uh, to get them and so we're sort of reaching the end of, of, of the crisis. Uh, through this year, um, biblically speaking, the, the conviction that the church is, is to be gathered. And so, um, if, like obviously, if we're grace-based, if you can't make church one Sunday or something happens, uh, we understand that. Uh, we do. That's why we're going to provide the live audio that you can listen to um, if you desire to do so. Uh, but but we are a small congregation, and 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 so sort of a video ministry is not something that we ever really had the conviction that that's what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, we did it during this year due to a crisis, uh, but it's not something uh, for my personal well-being like this. You know, to do a production. Friday afternoon and then to preach Sunday, um, it limits my time to minister and care for people and 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 so we just believe that the right thing to do is for you to be gathered with us as a body, not at home watching online. And and so if you can't make it, then the audio will be made available uh, as we always have. So I think we're gonna. Uh, take the video out until the end of Galatians, and then we'll be concluding this. Um, and and so I definitely appreciate your feedback, and I uh, th- I thank you for 
uh, this last year. I don't know how many people are still watching these. I think the numbers have gone down because more and more people have made their way back on Sunday mornings. And so it's just something we have to just acknowledge that that we're we're now at the point where I do think the vast the vast amount of people who I think everybody who desired to get vaccinated has been able to get vaccinated and and so so people are are returning and so we have to get back to um, what the Bible calls us to do as far as as gathering as a body of church to worship him and to study his word uh, with that also we um, we want to pray for the Wagnell family this morning. Not not that anything significant that has happened, but we used to pray for the missionaries every single week, and and so with, just with COVID, we kind of it just we're not doing announcements, we're not taking offerings. There's a lot of things in our in our liturgy that have adjusted, and so I'm trying to remember the missionary of the week as I start each week. That's going to be my aim is to do that, and so with that, it was a sort of extended an extended announcement. And I do think um, we have a lot of text to cover today. And so I, I pray that uh, I can get through this in a timely manner. So let's let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you uh, for the work that you're doing here in our midst in Valley Center and just um, just uh, wherever our, our, our influence goes. And then and today we we think about the Wagnell family who is serving in in Africa. We pray that you would be with them and comfort them and and lead them, Lord. I believe that they are planning a, a time of uh, a furlough where they return home for a number of months. And so I pray that you would guide them in this uh, this this planning stage as they prepare to come home for an extended period of time. We hope that we'll be able to see them and that you would just, again, bless them. Fathers, we turn our attention to the word. We ask, God, that you would lead us, Father, that you would help us to see what uh, your text says, and, Lord, how it applies to our life. We thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. We pray that you would help us to hold firm and to continue on the path that you have called us to, uh, walking in grace and standing in grace. We love you, Father, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. All right, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. <clears throat> Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we through this, for we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view. 
but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But brethren, or excuse me, but I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. And Father, we do thank you for this word. We ask that you would lead us now. And it's in Christ's good name, I pray. Amen. All right, so we find ourselves at a a transitional place in Galatians. We move from the first two chapters where Paul sort of not introduces himself, but he defends himself, his authority, uh, his calling, how he ended up in this place of apostleship and in that place of sharing the gospel with the Galatians. It led into chapters three and four, which we concluded last week, which were very doctrinal in nature. And Paul was defending grace and showing that we in Christ have been adopted in through a promise by faith that we trust what God has said and done. And it's through his work on the cross alone that we stand secure before him, justified. Their argument was that the Galatians were supposed to adopt the Mosaic law. And in addition to faith, they were supposed to get circumcised. They were supposed to observe the Mosaic law. And unless they did this, they could not be saved before God. And so now Paul transitions into this new life in Christ. It's this pivotal point. And today's first verse, we sort of find ourselves sort of hinging between what he said so far and the direction that he's going. As I look at this section, and as we look at the first, uh, where, where we're heading and where we've been, it reminds me of my early life in Christ, or really before I was a Christian, I used to push back on those that were trying to share the gospel with me, that were trying to bring me into their uh, religion. I absolutely rejected Christianity. I rejected all forms of faith that I perceived wanted to uh, infringe upon my autonomy and my own decision making and my my freedom. I enjoyed my freedoms, and I wanted nobody uh, to intervene and to tell me what to do, especially religion. And I I I rejected it altogether. Um, then I met Jesus, and I realized that so much of my understanding of Christianity w- was wrong. Um, what I thought Christianity demanded of me is sort of the very thing that Paul is fighting against right here. Like that, that, that he's saying it's not a system of works. You're not supposed to be doing these good things to get right with God. The message is simple, that God loves you. He cares for you. He wants you to be right with him based on what he has done for you. It's simply believing. And so I thought that I was free then, but the reality is, is I was a slave, as Paul describes in the last couple chapters. Um, Thankfully, uh, by God's mercy and his grace, I have come to know true freedom in Christ. And there's nothing more wonderful than experiencing this sort of freedom. Unfortunately, so many individuals accept Christ, receive the gift by grace, 
and they move from one bondage into a, a new bondage of, of religion. And, and this is not what God desires, and it's the very thing that Paul is fighting against. And so in verse 1, we read, For freedom, Christ has set us free. This verse is the central verse of Galatians. If you could remember four words, well, it's four words in the Greek. It's six, was it six words here or seven words in the English? Uh, for freedom, Christ has set us free. This is the thrust of the message of Galatians. In the Greek, it's bold and direct. It's literally four words. Freedom, Christ, us, free. Through Christ, we are free. And it begs the question, like, what, what is freedom? Does this mean that we can just go do and whatever like we want to do? And in Christ, we're, we're free from consequence of our sin, free from having to live our lives a certain way, free to, to sin and go crazy. That's, that's not what he's saying. The Life Application Bible Commentary says this. I thought it was really good. Uh, Christ has set us free from legalistic formulas, from God's judgment upon sin, from all man-made rules, and from the subjective experiences of fear and guilt. We are to live it out, practice it, and rejoice in it. To turn back to the law and try to earn what Christ has already given us mocks his sacrifice. So I thought that was a good explanation. And, and there's tension here. And I know that so many of us are going to look at the, well, but aren't, don't, weren't there good works that were prepared for us to do beforehand? How does that, how does our life and grace, how, how do these two, like, how do they co-mingle? And that's a really good question. And next week, we're only going to look at three verses, verses 13 through 15, which are sort of like an introduction to living by fruit of the Spirit, which Paul kind of tackles this. So if you've been saved by grace, then what does God expect of us as those who have received this gift? How do we, how do we live our lives out? And, and we're going to wrestle through this, and I hope that we can get clarity for how we live our lives. Like, how does that align with the, the message of the gospel and grace and, and our response to it? It's, um, it, it's going to be good. I'm looking forward to, to grappling with this next week. So he says... For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This word, uh, stand firm, it's a, it's a, it carries like a military connotation, sort of when you're in the military, sort of traditional war fighting. When you get uh, land and you take it, you hold it, you don't want to give up, sort of, uh, fronts. And, and so this idea was, was to, to buckle down, don't give up territory that you've already, already claimed. It sort of is like the picture of a tug of war, that there's this good and evil and, and freedom and slavery, and there's this tug of war happening, and Christ has given us freedom, and we're supposed to hold ground and, and not slip back into the system of slavery it's interesting to me that this is actually a struggle for us, uh, but our, our wiring seems to create a bent to slip into a merit-based system of worth with God. 
God tells us what Jesus did on the cross was sufficient, that he paid our sin in full. It was complete, that he was our substitute. His righteousness is credited to our account. We receive it through faith, trusting God at his word, trusting God that this sacrifice was sufficient and that we're to walk by faith and live by faith. But we don't seem to like this. And there's something about the human condition that we want to build a structure and a system of work so that we can check the boxes so that we can feel okay with God. But the problem is, is if we live this way, we never will feel good enough. And Paul is telling us this is something that we need to be diligent about not slipping back into He says, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, again, that word is so, like, these are pagans. Paul's not writing to a Jewish congregation who is converted to Christ, and now they're slipping back to Judaism, which I think that Paul so clearly understood in his own life. And, but he's, he's writing to these Galatians that were pagan, idol worship, so what does he mean to slip back into this yoke of slavery, not dealing with the Mosaic law? Uh, Tim Keller says this, this, this startling word in this last sentence is the word again. The Galatian Christians had been pagans who were under the slavery of literal idolatry. But here, Paul once more makes the radical claim that pagan idolatry and biblical moralism are basically the same thing. He's saying that you're either slave to religion or you're slave to the flesh. Both, both are the flesh. They just work themselves out in different ways. I, I think this is the tension that we see in, uh, between Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 6 seems to be the tension of the, the pagan. Romans chapter 7 seems to be the tension of the religious individual. And, and Paul says that this is what he, his propensity is uh, to slip back into. And, and this yoke of slavery, uh, you know, yoke is what this wooden object that you put on a, an oxen to control it. Um, here it's used to refer to teaching of a, of a religious leader that you would place on the individual. So often in the Old Testament and amongst Jewish people, there was the, the law of the Old Testament, 613 commands, but various rabbis would come through with their interpretation and how does it play out in their own lives. And their teaching and their ex- explanation for how the law worked itself out and what you could and couldn't do, this was referred to as their yoke. And when you hear this, it, it might, uh, you might think about something that Jesus said back in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, my teaching, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, my teaching is easy, and my burden is light. This is, it's like ointment to our souls. This is the gospel that we come to Jesus and we're relieved of the burden. I think of the great story of Pilgrim Progress where, 
where he, Christian is making his journey with his backpack and he comes to the cross and his burden is lifted off of him and he's able to continue on to the celestial city. And so Christ has said, I've taken the burden of sin and guilt and shame off. And so we enter into this and Paul recognizes the beauty of this. But what they're doing here or the temptation, the pull, is that they would slip back to religion and they would put their burden on and they're going to get burdened down. And it's not what Jesus wants for you or for me. He wants to give us freedom. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, don't go back into slavery. Verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. And so he's saying, like, listen, what I'm saying is if you're accepting circumcision, if if you want to go down that road, Jesus is going to be of no benefit of you. It's not about just getting circumcised. It goes back to what was said in Acts chapter 15, that unless they were circumcised and obeyed the Mosaic law, they could not be saved. And so it was embracing. If they were to get circumcised, it meant that they were embracing a whole nother philosophy, not the gospel. Lightfoot says on this, it's circumcision is the seal of the law. He who willingly and deliberately undergoes circumcision enters upon a compact to fulfill the law. To fulfill it, therefore, he is bound and he cannot plead the grace of Christ. He has entered into another mode of justification. So when Paul says, look, I say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. He's saying that the promise and the Mosaic law, they're mutually exclusive. The Mosaic law, according to Galatians chapter 324, I believe, or 25, it was to be a a tutor to lead you to Christ under the covenant of promise that we believe what God said and it's reckoned to us as righteousness. We, We can't operate under the promise. We can't operate under grace and also create a system of good merits that we're to achieve. Our relationship with God is not like Burger King. We can't have it our way. We have to submit to to his plan of righteousness. And his plan of righteousness is the only way that we can attain this righteousness to enter into this relationship is through Christ's righteousness who offered a perfect sacrifice for us. Again, he says, verse 3, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Paul says again, if I wasn't clear the first time, I just said it, but I'm going to say it again. If you accept circumcision as this new pattern of life and you want to accept the Mosaic law and you want to live by these traditions, you're obligated to keep the whole Mosaic law, the whole 613 commands perfectly. If you accept circumcision as the path to God, you're signing up for so much more. You're not signing up just for the act of circumcision and to do the Ten Commandments or to do whatever thing that they have laid out. 
you're obligated to the whole law. Now, again, I want to reiterate what I said last week. I forgot during the main service. But when I refer to the law, this is not the California penal code. This isn't the federal law. This, this, this is the Mosaic law. And Paul is saying, if you want to get circumcised, if you want to go down that road, you're subjecting yourself to the whole law. And it's just going to condemn you. It's the whole thing. It's not a la carte. It's not bits and pieces, the the things you like and the things that you don't like. It's everything, and it's it's razor sharp, and it's everything. James, in chapter 2, verse 10, says this, for whoever keeps the whole law, let's let's just say that you're attempting to keep the whole law. You say, yes, Paul, I want to do this. Well, James says, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point, has become guilty of all of it. It's like a chain, that if the chain is strong, but just one link breaks apart, the whole chain is broken. This is an impossible task. It was never the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was to show you Christ. It was to show you your sin. It was to condemn you. It was never to lead you to righteousness in its own sake. Paul continues, and he says, verse 4, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. Now, when we read the term severed from Christ, this can be misunderstood apart from the context. This isn't about losing your salvation. The the whole context is about how are we saved. The context is gaining salvation. And so to help us understand this whole thing, uh, I want to sort of give an illustration so it says, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. So if you want to be justified by the law, the thing that Paul is saying in verses 2 and 3 about if you accept circumcision, you're obligated to, to fulfill the whole law. And so if you want to go down the path of trying to be justified by the law, then you're going to be severed from Christ and you have missed the mark of grace. And so now let's you know, I think a lot of us are familiar with, uh, I forget what ministry came up with, the, the bridge illustration. But there's this illustration where, you know, Christ is on a, a cliff over here, and then we're over here, and then there's this huge valley between, between the two, and we have to cross over. Now, in my illustration, let's imagine that there are two bridges taking you to Christ, this is the sort of the picture that Paul is presenting to us. Now, there's, there's one bridge of works. It's the, the bridge of, of merits, and it's sort of the, let's sort of, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the ninja warrior bridge. You know, I don't know if you've seen the show, the, you know, ninja warrior where these athletes are trying to get through the obstacle course. It's nearly impossible, and they inevitably, most of them, get to one place where they slip and fall into the water and it's like game over for them. So this one bridge, the bridge of works, this is the law. And you have to, in order to get across, you have to do everything perfectly. There's no sin, there's no making a mistake. And so you're trying to, to, to walk as perfectly as you possibly can. If you have a thought that is wrong, suddenly the bridge collapses. If you like any sin collapses the bridge, that's what James 2.10 is saying. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become guilty of all. That's not a bridge I would want to cross. None of us would if we are honest and aware of like our sinful condition before a holy God. 
Now, the other bridge is the bridge of promise. And this bridge is simply trusting that the bridge will hold you. God said, this bridge is fine. You just have to trust me. Just walk across. It's not about you being perfect. It's not about staying. Like, you just have to believe. And it's about walking through trusting. It's not about you being perfect. It's not about anything. It's just simply trusting that God told you that it's reliable and walking across to him. And this is what the Bible tells us about the cross of Christ, that it's reliable. He paid it all for you. You're not expected to be perfect. You're not expected to be sinless. You're not expected to clean yourself up before you go there. You simply, God said that Jesus's work on the cross was sufficient for you and you respond by believing him. And then we walk by faith getting there. Your salvation is not based on what you have done. The other bridge, any little mistake, the bridge collapses. And it's impossible to cross that bridge. There's no way when we look at God's holiness in light of who we are, it's impossible to do that. We try over and over and over again to accomplish this. And he says, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. This, this, this wordage, is, it, 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 it tweaks it in a way that it, it, gets, it, it gets our minds going in a way that we think you could lose your salvation. It's, it's better understood you have fallen out of grace. You're no longer in the realm of the gospel if you're trying to live by a, a system of works. If you're living by a system of works, th- th- then you're not operating from Christ. You're severing yourself from Christ. You, you can't say, I trust in Christ's work on the cross, and also I'm going to double down and do my own work. It doesn't work like that. Romans 5, 1 through 2 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, trusting God in what he says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Into this grace in which we stand. So we come to God by grace. We receive him by faith. And then after we're saved, we continue to stand in grace and walk by grace. It's not get saved by grace and then maintain your salvation by works. That's not what the Bible has called us to. We we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And he goes on to say, for through the spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. And there's this, there's this longing for righteousness. The, the, the law, if applied correctly, exposes our sinfulness And then as we experience the grace of God and we taste his righteousness, we long for more of him. We long to be freed from our our bodies of unrighteousness. The process of sanctification takes place and God begins to refine us. But ultimate sanctification happens when we go meet Jesus face to face, face, either through the rapture or through our death and we stand before him. And we see this work of the Spirit in the next two weeks. Uh, two weeks from today, we're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit contrasted with the deeds of the flesh. And we're going to, Paul's going to begin to show us how do we live our lives according to the Spirit so that we grow to be like Christ. It's a, it's a beautiful picture. Verse 6, he says, For in Christ Jesus... 
neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And so we see in Christ. I do want to turn over, if you have your Bibles, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. We see the process here by which God works. Um, uh, I'll start at verse 12. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greek, whether slaves or free, and we were made we were all made to drink of one spirit. And so here the picture is uh, this this word in, like to be in Christ is so critical. When we look at the scriptures, apart before we came to Christ, we were in Adam, we were in sin. And we're told that while we were in this body and we were exposed to the gospel, we heard about what Jesus did on the cross. There was a moment in which we believed. And at that moment, when we trusted God and took him at his word about what Jesus had done for us, in that moment, we're told that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, according to Ephesians 1, uh, 13. And according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, we're, we're moved from the body of Adam to in Christ. And so if you have responded to the gospel, you are now in Christ Jesus. It's a phrase that Paul uses throughout his writings in the New Testament, that if we believe, we're in Christ. And so here we see it, verse 6, for in Christ Jesus. So if you've responded and if you are in Christ Jesus because you've placed your faith in what God has done for you, he says neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Your 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 works, your deeds, they're they're useless. They 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 accomplish nothing in the work of salvation. But only faith working through love. Faith responding to the gospel. And then as we respond through the Spirit, he begins to transform us, and we'll see this by the fruit of the Spirit. As, as we yield our lives, as we walk with the Holy Spirit, he begins to do this movement in us that transforms us. And it's not us trying to do to be accepted by God. It's not a, you know, a, a merits-based system. It's God doing something within us. The Spirit, he is moving and changing us, and as we listen to him, and yield our lives to him, his fruit bears itself out in our lives. And we're getting there like in two weeks. I'm so excited to get to this place in Galatians. Then we come to verse 7, and there's, uh, like I almost wanted to cut off, but I'm just going to quickly read these next couple verses, work through them quickly. He's going to get back to these people who are trying to steer them away from the gospel. And he says, you are running well, speaking of the Galatians. Who hindered you? from obeying the truth. So there's an individual, there's somebody who's sowing seeds of doubt of the gospel, that the gospel is not sufficient. And they're going through and they're sowing these seeds and they're trying to, to lead these Galatians off course. They were running well. And Paul asked the question, who, who is this individual who, who hindered you from obeying the truth? This 
persuasion is not from him who calls you. This isn't from God. This isn't the plan that God has established for us to to have this system of, of merit so that we accomplish these things. And then we hope that God loves us and rewards us for our good deeds. He says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. False teaching spreads like wildfire. And someone is spreading information that is going contrary to the gospel, and Paul is furious. He says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. I love this. Paul genuinely believes that these Galatians have been converted. He believes that they will respond to what he is saying and that they will continue down the path of true righteousness, which comes through faith alone. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. There are severe consequences from God for those that have false teaching. Those that teach contrary to the gospel are going to, I pray that I stay true to the scriptures over the course of my teaching uh, calling. Jesus describes those that would lead people astray. It would be better for them to have a, a, a millstone, like a VW bug wrapped around their neck and to be thrown into a lake and drowned. That would be better than what they will face when they stand before God. Paul says they will bear penalty. Whoever they are, they're going to face the wrath of God. Verse 11, but if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? Like, so apparently, uh, really quickly here, that there was rumors still going around that Paul actually was preaching circumcision. And it's believed that what happened is when we started Galatians, I referenced, we've talked about Acts chapter 15 a whole bunch, the Jerusalem council and what, how, how the early church settled, how circumcision should be handled, how should the Gentiles be received into the church that was in large part Jewish at that point. Then Paul got the good news. They all aligned with Paul. They agreed with Paul. Paul takes Timothy, who came from like a a mixed background. He was raised, uh, he had a, a Greek. We don't really know. Like we believe that the father was Greek and the mother was Jewish. And for whatever reason, Paul's early life fell on the Gentile side and he wasn't, Timothy wasn't circumcised. And so he gets this, this, uh, this news that believers don't have to be circumcised, that the Gentiles being in don't have to be circumcised. But the first thing he does to Timothy is says, you're going to be a hindrance to the Jewish people because he was raised Jewish, even though he was a Gentile or he vice versa, like I, but for whatever reason, he wasn't circumcised. And so Paul says, let's get you circumcised so you won't be a stumbling block to the Jewish people that we encounter. And so apparently they were misconstruing that to say, well, even Paul had Timothy circumcised. That's what we believe is going on here. But look what Paul says. He says, in that case, if that was true, the offense of the cross has been removed. And Paul says there's no desire to remove the offense of the cross. And this has been a big thing, like in uh, church recent history, probably throughout the ages, is we, like the only stumbling block that we want to place before people is the cross. And we can't, we, we can't take away the cross. The cross is something that every individual must be confronted with. It's offensive. The, the cross basically says you're a sinner and apart from Jesus, you stand condemned before God and you'll go to hell. But the cross also says like 
Jesus died for you. He was your substitute. God loves you. All you are expected to do is to respond and trust in God that this was sufficient for you. And so Paul says, I'm not going to put any barriers in the way of the cross. I'm not going to put style of music. I'm not going to put Bible translation. I'm not going to put how you look, how you walk, how you, none of that. The only stumbling block is the cross. And I don't want to trip up anybody with preferences before that. He then concludes this section with harsh language. He says, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. That's the ESV. The New American Standard says, I wish those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. This is uh, cut themselves off. This is basically, if you think circumcision is is a good idea, why don't you just go ahead and cut the whole thing off? Wouldn't that be better before God? And it seems super odd to us to, to read this in our culture, but but sacred castration was known to citizens of the ancient world. It was frequently practiced by pagan priests of cults in recognition of, in the region of Galatia. Uh, Paul's idea here is something like this, and this is from Guzik, what he says. If cutting will make you righteous, why don't you do like the pagan priest and go all the way and castrate yourself? Like, go for it. If this is a, a religious practice of the day, just go for it. Like, do the whole thing. Morris observes, this was a dreadful thing to wish, but then the teaching was a dreadful thing to inflict on young Christians. So the language is harsh. But Paul is defending grace with everything he has He knows the dangers of religion. He knows the dangers of legalism. He tried to live this way for so many years. The only way that we can experience true freedom and true liberation is through grace. We bring nothing to the table. God has done everything for us. And so as we conclude this section, as we transition, like, like, so what do we do with this that's before us? I think it's important that we keep the gospel, the cross, front and center of everything that we do. Grace Point Church isn't about religion. It's not about trying to build a bunch of people who are perfect or trying to go about in, in doing life through a system of, of religious things. We don't want you coming here and then become, like everybody looking the same. God has uniquely created you. He's uniquely called you. He has saved you through the cross, and we need to keep the cross front and center. With people who come here, with how we live, we need to stand and walk in grace. We need to guard ourselves from convictions and things that are good for us, like little guardrails that we place in our life to keep us safe. Like if we have stumbled in various sins before and we do things that to help us from slipping back into our old nature. That's great. But we can't build systems and say, if you want to be right with God, you've got to follow my system. I did this, and so therefore, you need to do all of these things if you want to be right with God. I remember when I first realized what grace was. I was so bogged down by my sin, 
by my shame, by the guilt of my past. And when I realized that what Jesus wanted me to do was to lay it at the foot of the cross, to understand that he paid it all. He was taking the burden from me. I don't know why for so many years I struggled with giving it to him. Why did I want to continue to carry it? Why do you want to continue to carry your shame and your guilt? I don't know if it's our pride. I just, I just don't understand why it's so hard for us to let go and acknowledge that Jesus loves us. We, we so often want to walk out of our bondage of sin into liberation, only into a prison cell of religion. And that is not what God is calling us to do. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We, Lord, ask that you would help us to to see areas of our life where we're trying to operate and function in our own strength, our own resilience. Father, show us our systems of sort of a merit-based theology and understanding of who you are. We ask that you would destroy it in our lives. Help us to understand the majesty and beauty of the work of the cross, that Jesus paid it all and all to him we owe. We love you, God, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Well, I hope you all have a wonderful week. I do look forward to seeing you in person. Uh, God bless you.